those of a new to forest, we've been studying the uh, life of Samuel, entitled Bridge Over Troubled Water, because Samuel was the last judge, last judge, and also first prophet, and he played a critical role of a kingmaker who helped the Israelite to, trans, to make a transition from very chaotic tribal world to controlled monarchy. And today is our third lesson on the story of uh, Samuel, and today's story about God's call of uh, Samuel. And I entitled today's sermon, When God Speak, dot, dot, dot. That means I intentionally made a sentence incomplete because I want everyone to fill the rest of the statement. When you hear God's, when you hear the, this sentence, God speaks to me, I would what? What did you do? You complete the sentence. Because listening to God is the beginning of everything. God's words matter more than anything else. When God speaks, life begins. When God spoke, creation started. Universe started. When God spoke to Abraham, he left the life of a pagan worship in the era of Chaldea and became a father of a faith for a whole world. When God spoke to Moses, the greatest, one of the greatest, almost impossible liberations in the ancient world took place. Slaves, they overcame a superpower in supernatural way. Nothing matters more than God's word. And if nothing is more important to us than listening to God's, uh, than God's word, listening to God speaking is very important. And let me make it clear that your life does not begin until you hear God speaking. Your life will not grow and bear fruit until you hear God speaking regularly. So today's story gives us great lesson how we hear God when he speaks to us. So now let's read today's scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 3 is a little long, but uh, let's read verse 1 to 18. Let's read it responsibly as our custom. So I'm going to read first. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you call me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him.
So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lie down in his place. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make years of everyone who hears about it tingle. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sins he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Samuel lay down until morning, then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. What was he, he said to you, Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. When God speaks to us, what do we do? Here we find the three important truths about divine revelation through God speaking. So let me give you an outline. We'll look at the value of God's revelation and the nature of God's revelation and finally responsibility of God's revelation. So value, nature, and responsibility. So verse 1 it starts with a very interesting statement. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. This is interesting because text didn't say there was no religious activity in those days. As we saw previous chapter 2, people were bringing, especially this area, silo, where the tent of a holy tent, tabernacle, was located, sacrifices. They were, they were religious center. This happened in the temple. And this statement is important because a message is primarily pointed out that the reason God's word was rare is not because God was reluctant to speak to people, but still were not listening to God. They are not paying attention to God. King James Version translation is actually much closer to original text. King James says, The word of the Lord was precious in those days. Word of the Lord was precious in those days. The first thing we need to know about God speaking is that hearing God speaking is an utmost privilege. It's a great privilege. And the most, chal most challenging you know, uh, things that I hear in this story is that uh, we are living in America where we have uh, freedom of religion more than any, 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 any place in this world. We have uh, more, churches than most, uh, more churches than anywhere in the world. We have uh, more Christian radio stations, TV, uh, TV channels, and 
We can hear about the word of God 24-7 if we want. A lot of religious activities in our country. Yet, do we hear the word of God? Do you hear the word of God? You know, when you hear the word of God, there is a change, as we saw today. There, you, you cannot deny that your life received this a very important privilege in the truth. Failing to hear the word of God is uh, very costly. And later, in the Amos chapter 8, a few hundred years later, there is a prophet Amos talking about there will be different kind of a famine coming. And this famine, let me just read uh, uh, Amos 8, 11, and 12. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of a bread, nor a thirst for water, but the hearing the word of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east, they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find. Famine means death. Famine, the worst famine, is a famine of a God's word. God's word. And for me, it's really uh, making a point to me because once again, we, we are in the, one of the most uh, uh, busy country with all kinds of Christian ministries and activities. Yet, when I talk to Christians or people in our forest, oftentimes I feel that uh, the fresh encounter with the God's word is not there. And why is that? Why is that? And I feel like we have a, we, we have a different reason of a spiritual malnourishment. And do you want to know why we have a spiritual malnourishment? It's like little children. Instead of eating a food that mom or dad prepared thoughtfully and time, you know, you know, painstakingly with all the nutrition values, some naughty children, what do they do? They fill their tummies with the junk food. When they come to the actual food dinner table, their tummies is already filled with all the junk food and they don't have an appetite for the real food. I think, you know, that's the, some of the, that, that's the one of the, this is a you know, paradox or you know, irony of evangelical churches in America. We hear a lot about the God's word, but somehow we don't make a personal connection with the God's word. So just like Samuel's time, it was in the temple, in the tent of God, the God's revelation is very rare. rare. And then the, also the passage, verse 2 said, uh, verse 3, the lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down on the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. The lamp of God, supposed to, run, uh, supposed to uh, uh, be the, uh, burned from evening to morning, according to Exodus 27 and Leviticus 24, and it has not yet gone out, that means it's still 
dark. So it's not, it's sort of a very dark dawn. Very, it's a very, very early morning, looks like a dark. And then also, verse, actually verse 2 said, uh, Eli, whose eyes were becoming weak, and he could barely see. I don't think it's just describing the, his physical condition. It's actually describing the spiritual condition of the time. Eli, the, the high priest, his physical vision is as bad as his spiritual vision. But good news is, verse 3, the end of verse, Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where Ark of God was. For the first time in this book, Ark of God was mentioned. And as we see next study, Ark of God signifies God's presence, God's power, God's amazing, amazing, transforming life. And they will come to that one. So, and also Ark of God symbolizes God's commitment to Israel. So good news is that People are religiously busy and not yet not paying attention to God. God is a merciful and God still speaks to us. And now, applying to ourselves, do you appreciate God's word? Do you really yearn for God's word? You know, amazing thing about the God's revelation is that God reveals to Bible said those who are humble and those who seek him. Those are filled with their own ideas. They have a hard time to hear God. So when you have a hard time to hear God, you might ask yourself, do I have a, well, is, is my tummy, is my, you know, minds were filled with something else that I couldn't hear God? You might confess to God, Lord, I haven't heard from you lately, and speak to me and help me to hear you. Because without hearing the word of God, everything we do, do not bear the fruit. Now let me go quickly to the nature of God's revelation in this story. Here, the very clear observation about God speaking to Samuel is God spoke to him very naturally, personally, uh, patiently, and ordinarily. I love this you know, calling story of Samuel better than other calling story, especially those, the, the spectacular calling story like the Moses or Isaiah. How many of us saw burning, burning bush? Or how many of us had the epiphany like Isaiah had in the temple of God? You know, most of us, we do not hear God in that way. We hear God just like Samuel, very, very ordinary. And if you look at the verse, you know, uh, verse 4, God calls Samuel, right? And then later when God, uh, God calls Samuel, God calls Samuel, you know, Samuel by name. And they called him Actually, four times, and three times he missed. And fourth time, God says, Samuel, Samuel. Anytime Bible repeats the name, it means affection. You know, Samuel, Samuel. And here Samuel, Bible says, has yet to know God, so he couldn't distinguish. That tells us this. 
But when God revealed to Samuel, it was a very much like a human voice. Samuel he assumed that it was a lie. And by the way, did you notice that he, verse 4, he ran to Eli when he heard God's voice? What does it tell you? It's a side point, but a very, very important point because he didn't just, you know, oh, man, this is the middle of the night. Did, why did he call me now? I pre I'm going to pretend to say. No, Samuel didn't just walk to Eli. He ran. That tells you how servant-hearted Samuel is, how faithful Samuel is. And Bible is clear. When we are faithful with a little thing, God will place us with a greater thing. You know, our work ethic matters. Our study habit matters because those things are exactly how God will use for his kingdom. So, students, high school students, study well. Not just a good grade, don't study for the good grade, but good study habit. Good study habit will carry you far longer than, better than good grades. I'm speaking from my own experience. And ask anybody here, the college grad, good study habit matters. Work ethic matters. Those who are goofing after work, I haven't seen them doing a great ministry. Now, Samuel assumed that it was Eli and went to him. And then Eli initially said no. And then when it happened, third time, Eli, this very dysfunctional high priest, whose children was behaving very naughty, recognized it was the Lord. Why? That actually tells you Eli must have heard God's word before. Eli must have heard God speaking him before. That's why he knew that it's the Lord. And here is a very important thing about the nature of God's revelation. We sometimes need other people's assistance and guidance to hear the God's voice. People who always claim that I hear God directly, they are very dangerous people. If God really speaks to you about something important, God usually reveals to those who love God and also want to obey God. Amen? So community of believers is very important. When you hear something from God and you wonder whether it's from God or not, you need to verify with your community the people, not anybody, but the people who pray to God and people who love you and love God. That's how you confirm whether it's your idea or it's actually from God's idea. People who always discern God's voice in their own personal experience and reasoning, that's a very dangerous people. I've seen enough of those people in ministry and life. Frank Topper, a Baptist theologian once said that God speaks to us through familiar voices. Yet many of us tend to think of a more dramatic revelation of God as a normative. For most people's experience of God, it happened very ordinary. Now, God's revelation is ordinary. You know why God's revelation takes a form of very ordinary kind of human communication form? Because we are ordinary. You know, God is a humble because we are lowly. To reach us down, God has to lower himself. Now, I want to take this as a sort of a segue to make a very important theological point, which is very critical and relevant to us. 
I just received a, a question last week, some of our uh, people, about the inerrancy of the scripture. The Bible has a no error. And then along with the conversation, he asked me whether I believe that the original text has a no error. And I want to tell everybody clearly. I'm going to go back to this one. This is more like a preview of our next study. But I want to say this. No solid, we have a, a Reverend Kwon, who is a New Testament you know, a scholar, so you, you might verify with him. As far as my reading is concerned, no biblical scholars, good ones, believe that original text that has a no, in the original, they don't believe in original text where there's no factual discrepancies. You know, when you read a Bible, there is a factually little bit different. Details are a little different. They don't fit it together. Such as, I mean, there are so many examples. Yeah, there are many, many examples. Like uh, when Jesus was anointed with oil, you know, one passage talks about he anointed the head, other time was a uh, feet. Those are little differences. And, uh, you know, well-meaning evangelical Christians, conservative evangelical Christians, they want to fit it everything perfect so that, oh no, it's probably a mistake of uh, you know, copying the scripture. Because the scripture, we, we don't have original text, we have copies or manuscripts. So, in this, so they kind of uh, you know, project this theory that original text has everything fitted perfectly, even in details. And I want to tell you very clearly that the manuscript Story manuscript consistency among the biblical texts is uh, better than any ancient literature or classical literature, such as a Homer's, Homer's work. And the uh, manuscript, the original text, actually, recent scholars believe that it actually lasted some even 300 years, average 150 years. That means it goes all the way to the end of the second century and third century. So once again, don't try to make a Bible is a, some kind of magical book. I want to say Bible is the ultimate authority about faith because it's a God's word. God is the ultimate authority and author. And the God spoke his word through human agent. So Bible, as a result, of, as a result Bible is both Human and divine. It's a, it's Bible is a God's word because a God spoke to humans. It's like this. Do you like Elvis Presley? I'm old. I like you know, all this music. Still, Elvis Presley touches my heart. I can't help you falling in love. Those songs kind of you know, touch my heart. Elvis Presley is a great singer. Not because of whatever you know, sound system he used was great. Regardless of a microphone he sang, Elvis, when he sang, it's great. Because Elvis Presley sang. God's word is God's word. Not, no matter who, you know, who God inspired and they described a little detail differently, God's word is God's word. Those who obey, hear and obey, God's word proved to be the ultimate truth. So, oftentimes, we have this kind of magical imagination or theory about God's work or God's word, 
to justify. But you know what? Ultimately, Bible is God's word. Because if you hear and obey, God will prove it. This is still true and living. He is living through his word. Anyone who obey God, you will experience God's presence in your life. Now, let me go quickly to call of God's word, the responsibility. So, verse 11, God told Samuel the horrible news that what he's going to do with Eli's family, Eli's household. God told, God told Samuel that, verse 12, now verse 11, God said, I'm of, what I'm about to do will make everyone who hears about it tingle. Their ears will tingle. That means so shocking that you will have a goosebump in today's term. You will have a goosebump. And then God said, I will carry out against Eliah everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. I told him, actually in chapter 2, verse 27 to 37, God sent a prophet already talked to Elijah's sin and their children's sin. And he sins, his sons blasphemed God and they, they, he failed to restrain them. So I'm going to punish them because they didn't take God's sacrifice and all the, all the worship in the tent for granted. Actually, worse than granted. They really took it as a carnal pleasure. So verse 14, guilt of Elijah's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice and offering. So this is a message of judgment that God gave to Samuel. The first word that Samuel listened from, heard from God was a bad news. And God is telling Samuel, this is a news that you're going to deliver. Imagine, the first message Samuel received from God was against the house of the one who blessed his parents. Remember in chapter 1, that Eli prayed for his mother and that's how I was conceived. In chapter 2, again prayed and then you know, his mother, Hannah, have other children. And also taught him to minister in the temple. Practically raised him and help him now to discern the voice of God. And the puzzling part is that this message of God against Eli, Eli already knew, right? He already knew. This is nothing new, it's a repetition. And why does God rub against Eli this horrible news now through Samuel? It must be really difficult for Samuel to bring this harsh judgment news to the one who raised him. It was so difficult. It was so difficult that Samuel, according to today's passage, didn't go to him until next morning. He stayed where he was. And then he didn't speak until Eli pushed him to tell me everything, otherwise you know, God will curse you. And then finally he was obligated to share. It must be very difficult. Why did God make Samuel to do such a difficult thing? Here is the truth. 
God is a training Samuel more than anything else through this message. God was telling Samuel, in order to be my spokesperson, my prophet, you have to deliver my word whether you like it or not. People's response is my concern, it's not your concern. Your job is to obey me. Your job is not to create a positive you know, response of whatever the, the, my truth. People's response, that's not your responsibility. That's their responsibility, and ultimately, I'm going to take care of it. Your responsibility, when you hear my word, you obey, no matter what. God was a training Samuel for it. And here is the news. Hearing God's voice is a one thing. Obeying God is a different thing. And the hearing God's voice I was going to share a, a story that I just uh, hearing God is privilege, and it is uh, undeniable. But oftentimes, the real difficult part comes after we hearing. And about that, I read a, uh, I read actually a story. Uh, from a pastor. He's a well-known pastor in, in Southern California. I don't know whether he's a great or not, but he's at least, you know, church is well-known. He's uh, a, a pastor of a mosaic church, some of you heard, you know, Orwin Magnus. And, uh, you know, uh, this is his testimony. My son Aaron was a five or six when he began asking me, what does God's voice sound like? I didn't know how to answer that. A few years later, Aaron went off to his first junior high school camp. In the middle of the week, I went up to, with the other pastor at Mosaic to see our kid. And I learned that Aaron had started assault on another kid, but had been held back by his friends. And he was unrepentant, and he wanted to leave camp, pull together his stuff, and shove it into the, my car. I asked him for a last, last talk with me before we drove away. We sat on the large rocks, in the middle of the wood, and I asked, Aaron, is there any voice inside of you telling you what you should do? Yes, he nodded. What's the voice telling you that I should stay and work it out? Can you identify that voice? He said immediately, yes, it's God. It was the moment that I waited for. So I said, Aaron, do you realize what just happened? You heard God's voice. He spoke to you from within your soul. Forget about everything else that happened. God spoke to you, and you were able to recognize him. I'll never forget Aaron's dug-in response. Well, I'm not still doing what God said. I explained to him, that was 
That was his choice. But this is what would happen. If you rejected the voice of God coming from deep within and chose to disobey his guidance, his heart would become hardened and his ear would become dull. If he continues on this path, there would be a day when he would never again hear the voice of God. There would come a day when he would deny God even speaks or ever spoken to him. But if he treasures God's voice, however it comes to him, through the scripture, through his conscience, through the community, and respond to him with obedience, then his heart will be softened. And his ear would always be able to hear the whisper of God into his soul. Aaron chose to stay, I'm grateful to say. If he had chosen differently, this is a part that I want to hear. He would have begun the path toward the nominal discipleship. Perhaps he would never have rejected the faith overtly. He might have chosen to be a faithful attendant at the church and been by everyone else's estimation a good man, but he would no longer be a close Jesus follower. When God speaks and we reject or we don't obey, what happens? We become nominal followers, nominal Christians. Our, we lose the ability to hear God speaking. So when you hear God speaking to you, and God's particularly challenging you, don't just postpone that. Okay, I'm going to you know, come back to this one. No, think hard what you want to do, what you're going to do. That's very, very important. Let me share my own experience. A few weeks ago, I attended a Mesopotamia, uh, the Liberty House Church, and uh, Elisha gave a uh, word time. And Elisha gave a word time from the Luke chapter 18, where the uh, uh, in Mark chapter 10, it was a, a blind man, uh, Marti, uh, Bar, Bartimus, crying out. When he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, he shouted, the Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. As a result, he was healed. And uh, Elisha just said, this is my daily devotion, and whatever devotion book or, you know, that she was reading, it said, uh, it's the irony that a blind man saw Jesus better than everyone else. And he is an example of following Jesus. I thought, wow, even though I know the story, but the putting in that way was, a, you know, was a refreshing. You know, even though I'm a preacher, I prepare the word all the time, but it was very good to hear other people preaching. You know, she never thought she was a preacher, but she was preaching that time, me. And somehow... That passage didn't leave my heart. And then we had a, you know, a, a first forest bowling tournament, bowling, you know, a contest last Friday. And then those of you knew, we invited a lot of uh, uh, non-Christian friends to join. And we had uh, like a, a, how many? We had uh, like a seven adults or eight, seven, seven, seven adults. Some of you kind of tried to tell me that, uh, like, uh, you know, John, you know, John Chung and JJ are the VIPs, and they are not VIPs. They are, you know, they are solid Christian. What do you mean they are VIPs? Anyway, but point was, 
was a great. They all the you know, uh, uh, non church goers that I talked to, they really enjoyed and appreciated it. I, I really felt good. And then this week, once again, that the passage hit me at my heart and I felt like God is speaking to me. So I read the, Luke chapter, Luke, the passage in the look. I went back to you know, Mark chapter 10, the passage. And guess what Mark chapter 10 says? It said a little differently. It said, Mark chapter 10, verse 50. Do we have it? Okay. It said, when he heard that Jesus calling him, he didn't just go to Jesus. Mark described us. He threw his cloak aside, jumped to his feet, and came to Jesus. What does it mean? You know, as a blind man, the cloak, the outer garment, that's his business. That's where people throw the coins. And that's where he collect the money. You know, when it means he threw his cloak away, that means when he heard that Jesus calling him, it was the most important divine opportunity that he cannot pass. He didn't care. It was far more important than making good business deal. He suspended every activity. He just, you know, he doesn't care anymore about, the, you know, getting more money. He just, you know, followed Jesus. That, for me, is obedience. When God speaks to me, God speaks to us, we focus on as a top priority immediately. So for me, God was telling me that, Paul, those seven people that came your bowling tournament, keep in contact with them. Next time, try to create the event. Next time, I heard that some of our churches are going uh, some service. Uh, they, they're creating another occasion to invite them. Guess what? I'm going to be there. I want to build a relationship with them. And uh, hopefully, I will, I, you know, I can, they can come to my house and we can have a meal and we can talk. Because... I've been complaining that uh, I'm a pastor. I don't have a VIP. I don't have a non-Christian friends to reach out. Now, they are. They are my VIP through you. Oftentimes, God calls us. We're still holding our clocks, our coins. We're still holding to our coins. We try to, you know, put our coins aside in a safe way and then follow Jesus. But he may also knew. Jesus is moving fast. He's passing by fast. In order to catch Jesus, he has to act fast, quickly. And that's how he received Jesus' blessing and became a full follower of Jesus. Let me close the sermon. Verse 19, what's the result? Finally, Samuel gave a difficult message to Eli, and Eli said, let the will of God be done. By the way, I don't think that, that was a proper response. If God said, I'm going to judge you, God didn't say, okay, let it be so. That's not what God wanted. God wanted to finally repent. Eli is just a tragic person. That's not what God just, God is not a torturer. When God gave us a, this serious warning, God wants us to repent and leave. That's what God wants. I don't find that as any pious, you know, about this, oh, let it will, will of God be done. 
Now, verse 19, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from then to Beersheba recognized Samuel as was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Silo, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. This is a major change of a guard for Israel. Eli, the official priest, is no longer a spokesperson, and Samuel became a spokesperson of God. And the entire Israel from Dan to Beersheba, the north to south, or south to north, they recognized that Samuel was a man of God. And verse 20, attested as a prophet of the Lord. Some of you asked me actually, that a pastor Paul, what do you mean that Samuel is the first prophet of Israel? Abraham was called once a prophet and Moses was also a prophet. Why is Samuel called the prophet of Israel? First prophet. You know this term, the prophet of the Lord was the first ascribed to Samuel. This is the first time this term, prophet of the Lord, appeared in the Old Testament. It meaning this, Samuel is the one who set the tone for the rest of the prophet of the Lord in the rest of the Old Testament. This is how we call Samuel as the first official prophet of Israel. And how he became a prophet of Israel? Not by his wisdom, not by his knowledge. He simply spoke God's word without any kind of a dilution, boldly and obediently and openly spoke God's word. And when he spoke God's word, God did God's part. God kept the word of Samuel come fruition that everybody knew that his word is like a word of God and that everything Samuel says will come true. God and Samuel are working together. That is a Christian life. We do our part and God will do his part, brothers and sisters. So whatever God is speaking to you, don't be slow to obey immediately jumping to the throwing your whatever clock of a coins, come to God quickly and God will use your immediate obedience and bless you so much. Guess how old was Samuel in this story? Anyone? The text doesn't say how old Samuel was. According to Jewish tradition, Samuel was 12 years old. Josephus, the Jewish historian of the first century, according to his book, Jewish Antiquity, Samuel was 12 years old. Does that bring your bell to somebody else, another 12 years old boy speaking for God? What about Luke chapter 2? When Jesus went to the temple of Jerusalem as a 12 years old for his bar mitzvah, Guess what? He was staying behind the temple, and uh, when his parents came back three days later, they found him in the temple court sitting there among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding, his uh, answers. Like a Samuel, who barely recognized the voice of God, Jesus was the voice of God. Unlike Samuel, who almost missed the word of God, unless uh, had not been uh, Eli, 
Actually, boy Jesus was asking and answering the top questions for the top theologians of his day to know God better. What I'm trying to say is that Jesus is not a prophet of the Lord. He is the Lord. Amen? Twelve years old boy who grew up in the Galilee, not in the tent, carpenter shop, he is a quizzing and teaching. Some of you took the Livingstone Bible study. He was a bar misbuying. This a top Jewish rabbi. And everyone was blown away by this 12 years old. This is the natural so-called prodigy. This is Lord, the eternal word of God, who was at the beginning when God created the universe and became a flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Lord. Amen? So my last word today is this. Borrowing my, my hero, Karl Barth, God definitely spoke to us. Yes in Jesus. Jesus is God's ultimate yes to us. In Christ, God is speaking to us. I forgive you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I will make everything new at the end. Yes, I will rise you every moment when you are down and looking for me. I will raise you again. That's what is God speaking to us.